Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, with my co-host, Ben Brandell, and this is another Thursday episode. Our topic for this episode today, this is a good one, Benny, mm-hmm. sight fishing for bass. We got to go out and do this, oh, I guess it was four or five days ago, a couple episodes ago, I unveiled my excitement for it. I love sight fishing for bass. It is so fun. I can't wait to share uh, our adventure and tips and tricks for people to go out and give it a try because where we're at right now, it is time to do that. And people up north, it's coming in. Uh, it's coming into season for you. But before we get into all those tips and tricks, all the ins and outs of sight fishing for bass, we need to give thanks. I thank Mama for the cooking, Daddy for the whooping, and the devil for the trouble that I get into. I've got to give credit where credit is due. I thank the bank for the money and thank God for you, Brian. Mm. I didn't know you were going to go and get deep on me today. <laughs> Back in my day, that was old Sawyer Brown. He was giving thanks for many things. And that's where I'm at today. Um, really thankful for my family. Um, the love that they share with me is just incredible. And uh, I can't thank them enough. My thanks today is. You know what? Pardon me for being cliche, but what I am thankful for today is the outdoors. Oof. If I could be candid for a minute, vulnerable with everybody, all of our listeners, I have been feeling kind of down lately. Mm. I have been feeling kind of down, depressed, anxious, whatever words that you want to use. But the outdoors, creation, it's where I feel close to God. It's where I spend time with the people that I love. It's where I spend time with my kids. And every time I get to spend time outdoors, I feel better. And Mm -hmm. so I'm just so thankful to have access to the outdoors and to have that relationship with with God and his creation and to be able to share that with other people so that I I have that outlet. You know, emotions are a God-given thing. Happy, sad. We so often think that we should always be happy. You Mm -hmm. see it today. The second that somebody's not happy, we run to, to pills, to medicine, to antidepressants. Well, maybe that's a signal that that something is off in your life that you're not you're not in God's will. You're not doing what you're supposed to do, or God is working through you for something to make you more like Him. So work through those emotions. Find natural ways um, in the Spirit to work through that, rather than finding fleshly things uh, to to pull you through it. Yeah, yeah. Like sight fishing, and sight fishing requires really. <laughs> Sight fishing, if you're kind of going through some of this stuff, for some of you, like, well, you know what, I need to get out there. But sight fishing requires one thing more than anything, and that is patience. And I'm here to tell you that if you don't have patience, <laughs> if, if your emotions right now are going crazy and you can't be a patient person, then maybe sight fishing isn't for you. Yeah. But getting outdoors definitely is and, and should be. You know, with sight fishing, well, let's let's explain exactly what that is. And we are talking specifically about sight fishing for bass. There are some other species of fish you can uh, sight fish for, particularly like uh, down in the salt flats and mangroves and stuff. Yeah. Redfish, there's there's you can sight fish for them. But we're talking about bass. And in the spring, when it comes time for the spawn or the breeding season for bass, bass come up to the shallow. They fan out the bottom on a hard, rocky surface. They lay their eggs where sunlight can get through and incubate these eggs. And and then we have uh, little tiny baby bass called fry. And so there's a whole process where the the male bass comes up, clears the bed. The female comes up. They do their dance, lay the eggs, fertilize the eggs, and then the female will leave. And then the male stays there and guards the fry. And we call those fry garters. Um, So through that whole season, it usually takes a week we'll say maybe two weeks to three weeks for all of the bass to go through this process in a body of water. It is a fun, exciting time of year. And if the conditions are right and you know what you're doing, you can actually watch the bass eat your lure. And it is exhilarating for me. It is. You know, you've said this before that it's like hunting to you. And it is a way to hunt. It's like mixing the two. It's like mixing fishing and hunting. Yeah, you're searching for... Before technology, this was probably the best way to 
hunt for fish with technology now with forward imaging you can track fish down and follow them and and pinpoint which one you want and cast into them and and really hunt for them but before those days of forward imaging and technology and electronics this was really the primary way to you go search for your fish you could see the fish you could see the size you could see how many are on the bed at one time but it does require the lake to be clear or somewhat visible if if you're in muddy water this ain't happening this ain't gonna work right and really how you do this if you're whether you're in a boat or on the bank you you go down the bank and you are looking for not for fish i think people make that mistake so often when they go to sight fish right they start looking for fish you're not looking for fish you are actually looking for what they call the bed which is the area that they have cleared out and it's usually depending on where you fish a light spot. So mm-hmm. they've cleared off any algae or, or any kind of growth silt off the bottom, and you have this clear spot, the lighter colored rocks. And it may be anywhere from one foot in diameter. I will call it a circle. It's generally a circular shape. And it may be up to like four or five feet. Sometimes they make them really big. It's, it's so weird that it depends on the fish. But you're looking for those light spots. And when you find those light spots, then you can slow down, be still, slow, and quiet, and start looking for the bass. Yeah, once you find your spot, then you're you're definitely looking for fish. You know, sight fishing, before we talk about really how we do it, let's kind of talk about what we're looking for and what we need to help us look for those things. So Brian just told you that you're looking for those, those lighter, circular areas under the water, right? It's going to be under the water. Um, at what depth? It depends on the water clarity and, and how well your eyeballs can see. But you do have to have sight. And with sight, you also have to, to have really the number one thing that we think we need when we go out, which is what? Yeah, the most important piece of equipment for sight fishing for bass is a good quality pair of polarized sunglasses. Now, what do you mean by polarized? So polarized, they basically have a film or a filter over the glass glass lens or plastic lens, whatever it is, but it takes all the glare and reflection of the sunlight off of the top of the water. So you can now see down into the water more clearly. And I'm talking, it makes such a difference. If someone standing next to you that doesn't have them cannot see a fish. And the second they put them on, it's like, oh, now I see what you're talking about. But are all sunglasses, aren't they all polarized? No, all, all, Sunglasses are not polarized, and there is a wide range of polarized sunglasses. Um, I suggest actually trying to buy some that are for fishing mm-hmm. because usually the shape of that lens um, is designed to kind of give you full eye coverage so that you're not having direct sunlight peek in over the top, the bottom, or the side. So something kind of a, a bigger lens, maybe something you wouldn't necessarily wear for fashion. Um, and the color of these lenses is important too, depending on the color of the water. So a lot of people that go to the ocean will use a blue colored or green colored lens. I love kind of an amber or copper colored lens for freshwater fishing. Yeah, that's true. That's good. You know, sunglasses, we, we do say are the most important, but there are a lot of other things to consider from the line that you use, the hooks that you use, the rods and reels. It may take a, a vast array, as we found out last week. It uh, it is it it's very tricky to just pick one bait and one rod and get bedding bass to go bite that. You kind of have to have an assortment. You got to have an arsenal yeah. and be ready to switch through that. Um, and and to be honest, this sight fishing it may not be for everybody in the bass fishing world. There are people that love it, and there are people that hate it. I mean, there there are professionals that make their living bass fishing. They'll tell you they hate sight fishing. They hate it. They don't want to have to ever do it. They don't like sight fishing tournaments. I mean, you think they don't want to have to use the skill. Do you think that'd be because of what we talked earlier, the patience? You have to have the patience yeah, to it, do this. Yeah, it, it does. It, it takes patience, and some people just, yeah, they feel more comfortable catching them other ways, and... I'll be honest, there, there there are days where I'm just fun fishing and I choose to sight fish just because it's fun knowing that I could go fish another way and get more bites. Mm. But for me, it's not that, <clears throat> but for me, it's not that, it's not that exhilarating bite of, okay, I finally fooled this fish. I worked and worked. I fooled it. I watched it bite my lure, set the hook, reeled it in that just close combat that, that I love. And so... Some days I do. I choose knowing that 
I'm going to get less bites, but I'm going to have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. Once I fishing, you know, again, you have this fish on the bed, you can see it. You're trying to cast your lure into this bed really to honestly make it mad. I think that's the number one that you're just, you're trying to make it mad. Mm-hmm. When we talk about rules and regulations really quick though, you do have to have this fish bite your lure. That is the rule. If you're snagging bass, that's actually illegal on most lakes. You're, you're really not allowed to snag a fish on purpose. So that means taking a hook. There is a season here in the Ozarks for sucker. A sucker is a type of fish. And you can snag them. You can throw a hook in and snag them. But when we're talking about game fish like this bass species, you're really not allowed to, to go in and snag them. So the goal is to make them bite it. And that's what's so tough. Yeah, and if you may be hearing that thinking like they're really just sitting there where you can throw your lure in and snag them, and yes, some of them are. You can run your bait over, under, bump it into side of them, and actually that is a tactic that I will use. I won't usually start with that on a fish, but if there's a fish that's really locked on but it won't quite bite but it's just stand there, I'll actually kind of start tapping them in the face with my bait, like making them mad, but you cannot go ahead and rip and set the hook and dry to just snag them. That is illegal, and it isn't ethical in my opinion either because you're putting a hole in this in right. this fish. We know that accidents happen when fishing, and that's, you know, you and I have used crankbaits before, and we've we've snagged them accidentally. They've mm-hmm. They've reacted to the bait. Um, they struck at it, and so we, that's when the hook went into them. And that as, is technically a catch. I feel like it happens a lot keep. with jerk baits for me. They'll come right. up and they'll they'll like try to injure the my jerk bait that they think is a minnow. And once I feel that, I'll set the hook, and my my back hook will have them in their back. And right. But legally, if you are sight fishing and you jerk and you snag it, legally you are required to let it go, even if you wanted to keep it to eat it. Mm-hmm. You legally are supposed to let it go. Um, it goes back to ethics. Are you, do you, that's, that's really on you to decide, but the goal is to get this bass to bite your lure. I want to talk about one piece of equipment that we do not have that I have, (laughs) that I have utilized. I guess you know where I'm going here. Oh yeah. We do not have it. And I have been in boats that have it sight fishing before, and it is so game changing for sight fishing. I wish we had it so bad, but it is expensive and we don't. But well, some that, people even said that this is more like uh, uh, showing off. Like if you have these, like you're just showing off. <laughs> and yeah. I don't, there is a need for these. There is a, a time to use these. I can't think of a better need and time than sight fishing. What we're talking about is shallow water anchors. You'll hear Power Poles, another brand is uh, Talons. Mm-hmm. There, there are several brands. Power Poles, probably the most well known one. But they're, if you've ever seen a bass boat going down the road and there's two poles on either side of the outboard engine on the back of the boat, those are actually arms that will deploy. They look out. like grasshopper legs. Yeah, they do. Really That's exactly what they are. It. Yeah, it's like cricket legs. They'll go back down behind the boat and push down into the floor of the lake, mm-hmm. the bottom of the lake. And they're usually 8, 10 feet long. So as long as you're that shallower, shallower, they will hold your boat in position. Your boat's not going to be moving around. It's not going to be slinking up on this bedding fish that you're trying to catch. You don't have to use your towing motor making all this noise underwater. It is so, so nice to be able to walk around the boat, crouch down, and not worry about blowing over the top of this fish. However, when you don't have them, it is very difficult. You will mess up some fish throughout the day from your boat because of having to use your trolling motor too much or the wind blowing you over the top of a fish or maybe just getting a little closer than you really wanted to get uh, because of current or wind because you do have to be sneaky on these fish. That also lends into the distance. You want to stay away from some of these beds, so you want to identify them from a distance. And having the right equipment like these power poles are going to help you in that moment. You can what we say, power pole down. Yeah. <laughs> we don't even have them, and we pretend out on the boat. We're yeah. like, all right, Brian, power pole down. Yeah. But we, you do need to stay uh, at a good distance away from these fish to start off with. That's going to help you increase your chances to get them to bite. And there are some things you can do if you are in a boat without power poles to help stabilize your boat. One, look for those areas. Look for those fish that are bedding in areas where you can utilize other structures like docks or trees or sometimes we will even bring a pole 
in our boat, just a, a long pole. So like a push w- pole? Yeah. Yeah. One person can be holding the boat in position with this pole on the bottom while the other person's fishing. Well, that takes a little sacrifice. Both people can't be fishing, and it takes two people. However, that is a, we'll call it a poor man's way, a resourceful man's way, but that is a way that you can hold the boat in position. Well, originally the push pole was in that boat when you didn't have a trolling motor. Right. You know, trolling motors today, we have them. They work great, awesome, but they do produce sound mm-hmm. and they do move water and silt and mud depending on how shallow you get it so if you want to keep from spooking those fish even if you have a trolling motor a push pole is a great way to be more silent and stealth yeah. you can kind of yeah you can kind of sneak up on them if you're going back in a long shallow flat or something rather than running your trolling motor through there this reminds me also something when you and i went fishing um you turned off your electronics in the boat how come yeah, so if you've ever been around a boat that has electronics running and you go underwater, you can hear them. Yeah. As a, as a human being, you like, can hear well, them Well, what click. do you hear? Is it- it's clicking. You hear the click because how those transducers work that are go to your electronics, they're sending out a an audible signal. It is bouncing off and returning, and the unit is reading that return. How fast it returns um, is, is how it really gives you a picture on your screen. And so if you turn those units off you're not going to be sending out those signals so you are reducing your noise again but there's no reason to have them on you're fishing in water where you can see the bottom and you can see the fish yeah <laughs> turn it on you know the water temperature too if the bass are on bed you know it's in the 60s so they're not really telling you or doing a whole lot for you when you're sight fishing so go ahead and turn them off right now that's good that's another good tip staying here with equipment ben i've already kind of mentioned that you need um I shouldn't say you need. It makes it easier if you have several rod and reels. Mm-hmm. And typically, I will have at least five or six rigged up with different bed fishing baits. They all have a different bait that I like to use for, for bed fishing. And you may pick up all of them twice on one fish. Right. Maybe three times on one fish. And then you may have to pick up one and modify the bait that's already on it before it bites. You have to be pretty patient. Could you sight fish with one rod, rod, one rod and reel? Yes, but I think you will have to be willing to pause and switch baits. Maybe have a pocket of two or three different baits and be willing to stop and cut one off and retie. Be willing to tie a lot of knots and change baits because very, very, very rarely... Do you stop on a fish, see them, throw in your first bait, hop it a few times, and they bite? It happens sometimes, and it's always awesome, but it's not that easy. Yes, if if you're wanting to go out with one rod, this may be the only time that I would ever tell you to buy a clip, even a clip with a swivel. Maybe, like, <laughs> because this is you're going to have to switch baits so often that you would want something um, to help you. But otherwise, yeah, take two or three rods tie a few different things on and and we are we're going to talk shortly here about what we used um some of the baits that we like to use mm-hmm. but back to equipment though you know can you can you sight fish from the bank do you have to have a boat Brian no you definitely don't have to have a boat you can sight fish from the bank it's it's the same kind of tactic you want to be slow and easy and you want to make uh you want to make angled casts and what i mean by that is you don't want to get perfectly in line with that bass's bed. So to to be far enough away to catch that bass, you would have to be so far up the bank that you'd be dragging your bait on the ground every time. So you want to fish. You want to position yourself on the bank pretty close to the water, looking down the bank line to, to sight fish a bass. And as soon as you see them, once you're in a position where you can present, that's as close as you should get. You want to stay as far away as you can, still see the fish, see how it's reacting to your bait, and not get close enough that you can spook it. But you could absolutely do that from the bank. You know, I do not know if this is legal or illegal. However, Major League Fishing uses drones as part of their footage for us to sit and watch. And I'm going to tell you, it is so neat to see these these bass on beds with this drone footage. I, You know, I'm not telling you to go do this, but... Major League Fishing is doing it on some of these waterways, so maybe you can. But if you do have a drone, that might, if you're fishing from the bank, that might be a quick way to find some bedfish for you on the bank is, is put your drone out, run along there, and find those spots before you go fish. Don't know if you have that equipment, but if you do, you might be able to give that a try. Yeah, let's hit 
before we really get into baits, because that's kind of a, a bread and butter of this, let's let's hit on the time of year and locations and conditions that, that you would want to go do this. And obviously, it's spring. That's when the spawn is. The water temperature is really important. Biologists are going to tell you that the premier primetime bass spawning temperature is 68 degree water, but you will see bass on beds all the way down into the 50s. If, if the length of day, the photo period is long enough, and the water is on that upward trend, you're going to see bass come up. And you're going to have a couple floods of fish too. Not all the fish come up at once. You're going to have some of the fish come up, do their thing, go back down. Some fish come do their thing. And some of the bigger females will actually come up more than once. Ooh, you mean like they'll actually lay out a few times? Correct. They'll actually lay out their eggs a few different times. Conditions for this, it's pretty logical if you're thinking about conditions. It needs to be sunny and it needs to be calm. Obviously, wind on the water is going to make the water difficult to see through and cloudy days are really hard to see through the water as well so a sunny calm day which typically is not considered a great fishing day is the perfect time to go sight fishing also pollen this time of year can be really bad in some areas the pollen will be so thick on the water that you cannot see through it here's another tip for you dawn dish soap get you a squirt gun or squirt bottle or something you can spray it from your boat or from the bank over the top of the bed and it will dissipate that uh, pollen over the bed area, and now you can see through the water. So now we're talking about pollen, not algae. Correct, <laughs> pollen. We're not talking about algae. Algae is is quite a bit thicker. Um, Dawn soap is not going to move that that algae no. out of the way, but it is great for pollen, like you're talking about, Brian. Absolutely. Um, the other thing would be generally you want to fish some clearer water. It, Murkier water can actually be really, really clear water can be difficult because you can't get very close. They can see you just like you can see them easier. Really, really muddy water, you literally can't see them. And the shallower, excuse me, the muddier the water, the shallower that they will make their bed because they need the sunlight, the radiant sunlight to get through and muddier water doesn't let it through the way that the clear water does. So they will be shallower, but you still won't be able to see them because it's so muddy. So kind of that in-between, like that fishing stain, as I like to call it, where you can see them, but it's still got enough um, stain in the water that you can get up close enough to actually fish for them. So there is kind of a balance there. You've got to have the right conditions you have to have the right time of year. You can't just go sight fish every single day. And I think it's important to know your species. You know, Brian, you actually taught me the last time when you and I went out, we found a lot of beds. I'm talking hundreds mm -hmm. of beds. But as we started looking and seeing which beds had fish on them and which beds did not, you actually said, hey, Ben, there's a fish on that bed, but it's not a bass. Right. And because... I wasn't even zoned in or even thinking about that. In that moment, I was thinking all of these fish are bass. But this fish that you pointed out was actually a crappie. Yeah, there were some crappie up doing their thing too all at the same time. And even within the bass species, we have we have uh, Kentucky spotted bass, we have largemouth bass, and we have smallmouth. And, and actually, we have meanmouth too, which is a, a combo, a hybrid of the two. Mm -hmm. But knowing where they make their beds can help you. The smallmouth they're actually going to make theirs a little bit deeper than the other species. And we, f we figured that out on our trip as well. Spotted bass typically are going to come up and they're going to be the first wave of fish that come up. They're going to be pretty shallow and they're going to be that first wave. Um, some of them, some of those spotted bass males are really aggressive and really easy to catch, but they're not very big. They're not very big. You're not going to go put a big uh, tournament winning bag together of male spotted bass sight fishing for them, but you can have a lot of fun. So you kind of have to understand your species of bass and other species of fish and what they're doing. Well, and also well. Uh, sizes, what a fish size is while looking at it under oh, the man, water. I didn't even think, you yeah. know, you're, you're talking about these bucks could be small, but it may be two pounds, right? It looks like a little dink. Yeah. Uh, there were some that, that you were working on that I was like, ah, oh, that's a dink. And, and when you're able to catch this spot, when you pull it out, I mean, thick bellies yeah. on, and it wasn't even a buck. It was a sow. But a couple it, pounders, yeah. yeah. And so it, you do need to know what size fish, what they look like underwater. 
uh, to help you so that you can pick and be choosy on what fish that you want to go catch. Yeah, that's really important for the tournament fisherman, for sure. You don't want to waste your time on a fish that is not worth wasting your time on. Yeah. If, if you roll up and you're like, oh, that's a that's a two and a half pounder and you spend all this time trying to catch it and you bring it in and it's a quarter inch short and only weighs a pound and a half, you're going to be pretty mentally discouraged because you don't get to put a fish in your live well and you just wasted all kinds of time that you could have been spending on another fish. So learning to size and gauge those fish is really important. If you are practicing for a tournament that you think is going to have sight fishing, catch a few, catch a few, Watch the pros, watch them practice. They're going to catch a few. Mm-hmm. They may be able to come back and catch it, but they're probably sacrificing that fish because they're not going to be able to catch it again. Catch a few just so you can kind of gauge the size of the fish that you're looking through, that colored water and that those sunlight conditions before you go into your tournament and, and mess up and waste a bunch of time. And that's where, before we get into the baits, you know, I think lastly is, is truly being patient. That's the number one factor in sight fishing because – there are times where it takes forever, mm-hmm. but you understand that that is the fish that you need to catch for your bag for that tournament, or maybe that's the fish that you want to keep and eat. Now, I know that breaks a lot of anglers' hearts, bass fishermen hearts when you talk about eating, but if you are a, a person that wants to go out and catch and keep to eat, you're able to do that. You can see that these bigger fish um, will be on beds and you're able to catch them too, but you do have to have patience. Patience is going to be the difference between you catching the fish or being frustrated and leaving it there. Yeah, that think that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make when they go to learn sight fishing mm-hmm. is not having patience. They think, oh my gosh, these fish are up. I'm going to throw in there. They're going to come after it. They're going to eat it. And it does not happen that way. If it does, you're really lucky. I think this is actually a really important for really any angler. And I'm going to have Brian share this right now. When you approach that fish, so let's roll back a minute. You found a bed. You see all these beds, all these lighter-shaped circles. You find them. As you stay at a distance, you pause. You put your power poles down if you have them, or you use your your, your push pole to kind of move in, and you're freezing right there, and you're starting to survey. I see a bed. Now I see some fish on these bed. Are they the right fish? Yes, they are the correct fish. And are they the size? that I want. But Brian, how do I know if I should stay here and be patient? How do I know that this fish is truly wanting or is going to be able to be caught? Well, that kind of, you you really do have to read the fish, but that kind of, let's talk about baits because the baits that we have help me to gauge how I'm reading that fish. And so well, but before, this is this is the point that I want to make, though. If you move up to an area, no matter what bait it is, right. if you before are... Before I even cast. Before, right. Yeah, how do I know that this this is the fish that I should be even hanging out and, and working? Your first clue is if, if it stays there. Yes. Or maybe you bump up too close. There's times where you're like, oh, shoot, there's a bed right there, and you see the fish swimming off. If it circles around and comes right back, like within 60 seconds... You have it. It's worth casting and checking that fish. Right. So no matter what lure you have tied on your first lure, if you're flipping that in there and that fish just goes away, yeah, is that something that you're going to stay and keep keep working on? No. And, and there'll be times where you're going down with your boat and or walking down the bank and you see a bed and you do you see the bass push off of it at, off of the bed as you're approaching, hang out right where you're at, freeze, maybe even back up, crouch down. Keep your eyes on that bed. Mm-hmm. Does the fish return? That's a huge question. You may not even have to ever make a cast at it because if it doesn't return, keep on going to the next one. Keep Typically, rolling. when you're sight fishing, there are so many fish on bed that there's no point in wasting your time just on one. Go find one that is going to be more receptive to to being caught. All right. So you found this fish. It's locked on its bed. It's yeah. locked on. Now, Brian, let's talk about some baits. I know that you could Google right now what baits to use for sight fishing, and and you're probably going to get oh my three gosh. or four that are consistent, but you're going to have twenty different it is such baits a, that they're yeah. going to say to use. And then one guy is going to make fun of another guy yeah. and tell him he's a, well, he's here's, an amateur if yeah, he uses here's an this. Example. And, so before we talk about the type of baits, let's first talk about colors really quick because you brought that up, and that's something that I've seen 
you know, professional anglers kind of jab and poke at people about of, of, oh, you're using certain colors. That means you're a newbie. You know, white is going to be the color that most people are trying to use on bedfish. Not necessarily because of the type of animals within their environment that they're nervous about or worried about, but really for the angler. You and I out fishing and we're fishing in these beds. I want to be able to see my bait so that I know when my fish has the bait. Mm -hmm. And white is a good color to use. Also, methylate orange, that, that methylate color, that's another color that stands out. And so if you are new to sight fishing or you just have a hard time seeing with your own eyes under the water, you may really want to use those colors white and, you know, something bright. Otherwise, use whatever you want to if you can see it. Right. So when I go, when I know I'm going to be sight fishing for bass, I've looked at the weather, the conditions, it's going to be low winds and sunny. We know what the water temp is. There's going to be bass on bed. The first thing that I go tie on is a Texas rigged craw, white, pure white, no sparkle, no nothing, just white and pretty big with a good size hook, it, at least three aught but probably more like a four or five aught hook. I usually go with a four, but I know a lot of guys use a five aught hook. So a pretty good size, meaty hook, a big white craw, and I Texas rig it. And I go a little bit lighter on the weight. I use a quarter ounce tungsten weight. And I, I do, I peg it. What I mean by pegging is I put a bobber stop on my line first above my weight. I don't want my weight flying up and down my line but I actually put that bobber stop up above my weight about four or five inches. And the reason I do that, when I pull it into the bed, I want that bait to be able to back up off of the bottom right into that fish's face and really antagonize them. Mm -hmm. So I want that bait to be able to come up about four or five inches. So I like a crawl that has some flotation and, and movement to it when I'm not having to do any manipulation with the rod. You know, Brian, that's actually a good bait to just have tied on as your first maybe approach, honestly. I do want to say, though, and, and this is kind of that cliche again of, of fish the moment, you know, fish the conditions, but you really do have to here. It will be in the spring when you are sight fishing, but there may be flooding conditions. And when that water's up, these fish may be making beds up next to bushes, up in that flooded area behind the bushes. You know, that's not the normal bank line anymore. And you're trying to flip up, up into some, some heavy cover. You may need to use some heavier weights, bigger hooks. If you're moving out, if you're not in that flooded area, you've got bass that are out on the normal bank line. Maybe they're even bumping out because it's so clear. They're at five feet deep, seven feet deep. You might be able to lighten some of your tackle. You're not fishing very deep for these fish. You're going to be fishing from like six feet and in. Some of them literally their back, the fin on their back is out of the water. Right. We're talking, you know, six, seven, eight inches of water. So a big heavy weight in rocks is going to get hung up a lot. Mm -hmm. So I do like that, that lighter weight, but I want a, one that is heavy enough that I can still make really accurate casts. Yeah. You know, I was actually fishing some light tackle one time and Brian actually pointed this bass out to me. Its back was almost out of the water, but we were kind of in that flood kind of the 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 end of the flood stage mm -hmm. basically where water was behind the bush and he's like man flip up there and i did but i had super light tackle on and guys i'm i'm not kidding as soon as i saw that fish take it even with my eight pound test that i had on my goal was to get it out of that get it out of that zone so quickly because i wasn't fishing with 20 pound 25 pound fluorocarbon with a five six aught hook with right. a half ounce weight like i was light tackle fishing and so you do have to fish that moment if you're going to be in, in a lot of brush you may want to use some of your your heavier line to to be able to pull some of these big bass out of that bush when they run after catching them you know a couple other baits that i'm definitely always going to have tied on is a wacky rigged uh stick bait worm Woo. always going to have Woo. one tied on Woo. that's one of my favorites um, man and i like to go natural colored with that one mm -hmm. you know like a green pumpkin right. or a watermelon and I like to throw a little sparkle into that. One, it helps me see it, but I'm really trying to imitate like a bluegill with this guy. Right. Um, and you can, why I love that, those fish that you cannot reach 
well because of where they're located underneath a dock cable or like you said behind a bush or maybe up in a bush you can skip and slide a wacky rigged worm on a spinning rod so easily uh, we, we had a guy out with us who'd never done it before and we taught him in in five minutes it is a pretty easy thing to pick up if you've never skipped before and you can put that bait in some tight places and reach some of those hard to get to fish yeah not only do you want to cast past this bed you know you're not dropping you're not dropping this thing right on its head. You never want to drop it right in the bed. You always want to cast past and bring it up as natural. Hop it into the bed, drag it into the bed, whatever you do. You don't want to drop it on the fish's head. After you make that long cast and you bring it into the bed, you don't want to fish fast. Mm. Fishing fast is the opposite of being patient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you must be patient. You want to keep that bait in there because that fish isn't hitting your lure because it's hungry it's doing it for what reason why is this fish even wanting to jack with your lure brian well one they may just be aggravated that basically you're in their house like right you're not invited here but two they're protecting that is their that is their nest where they're going to uh they're they're going to procreate they're going to have their babies here mm-hmm. their eggs they don't want them to all get eaten by a bluegill or, or some other fish coming in there, a crappie, a smaller bass. They are defending their home. They're defending their territory. And so that's why baits do matter. Certain types of baits matter. Brian said that he used a white craw. That's cool. Do crawdads come in and eat their eggs? Ah, The only white craw I've ever seen is <laughs> in a cave. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what you're trying to do is you're using that white for you to see, but you're using those vibrations. You're trying to vibrate that thing. However you can, wiggling yeah. the line, wiggling the rod, tapping on the side of your your reel. You're trying to send some vibrations down your down the rod, down the line to that bait to really make that fish mad. But Brian also said he likes to use natural colors because he wants to to pretend that that bait is maybe a bait fish, maybe mm-hmm. it is a bluegill, like you said, because bluegill will come in and eat what? Yeah, they're nest predators. Yeah. They'll come in and eat the eggs. And so now let's talk about those baits. Why are you using the different baits? And Brian, what are some other baits that you use to kind of mimic different things in their environment? A few others real quick is I love to have a smaller profile jig on, again, in a natural color. And then one that some people overlook is a swim bait. Ooh. So I like to use one of those paddle-tailed swim baits, at least like four inches in size, Mm -hmm. look like a fish. But I like it to be weighted in the nose so that it falls in nose down like it's going down into that bed, really trying to get what's in there with that tail up. Sometimes when all else fails and I'm like, man, I just don't think I can get this fish to bite, all of a sudden I'll throw this white swim bait in there and this fish's attitude totally changes. All of a sudden a fish I did not think was catchable now is catchable because I've ticked it off by putting another fish there. Right. Now, I do want to, here's here's a couple other lures that people do use. Um, this is what I was taught years and years ago. And because I think we've used them so many times, you know, maybe they're not as effective for some, some anglers. So they move into some crazy designs. But here's a few. So like a lizard. A lizard, I hear it all the time. A lot of these professionals are going to flip, maybe a Texas rigged, maybe a drop shot, but they're flipping this lizard into this bed. Again, they're trying to get this bass to hit this bait because either A, it's making it mad, or B, it's realizing, hey, this this thing's trying to eat my eggs. I want it out of here. And so using the lure, using a brush hog, using some sort of bait that is coming in to eat. But Brian, no matter what the bait is, once it lands in that bed, what are you looking for? What are you looking for in that fish? What is that fish doing that's going to tell you that it's it's going to maybe maybe uh, I move to your bait? So I'm totally reading the, this fish's behavior once I throw a bait in there. Typically for me, my first bait that's going in is that white crawl. And I very, very rarely actually catch them on the white crawl. Okay. But that is how I am gauging. For me, I know... I've done it enough with that white crawl. I know their reaction to that. I can pretty much immediately say that fish is catchable. And sometimes they present catchable and you end up never catching them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're like, eh, maybe it's catchable. And then the next time you throw in a different bait, it goes crazy and eats it. It's, it's kind of a, that's why it's so fun is figuring that out. But typically if I see a fish, it stays on the bed. I go ahead and I throw my white crawl past and I hop it into the bed 
if that fish moves towards my bait, not to bite it, but if it just moves towards it, towards it to look at it, I'm like, oh, okay. I've got a chance here. If it spins out of the bed, spins right back in and comes and checks out my bait from a different side, if it just checks it out, uh, I think I have a chance at right. it. Probably not with that bait, but with some more baits to come. So what do you look, you're saying it, the behavior, you're saying it checks it out. Tell us, what is the body of that fish? What is that fish doing when you're saying it's checking out your bait? So what really, really makes me go, oh, it's going to bite is when it starts to, when its mouth gets lower than its tail. Mm. So when that tail starts to come up and its mouth starts to get closer down to the bottom, that's when I'm like, oh, I got the right color or the right bait. And a lot of times, if it does that two or three times in a row on one bait, I'll real quick pick up another one and slide it in there. And then that next catch or that next cast with that next bait is what I catch it on. But they're starting to tell you, hey, man, I don't like this. They will even start to nose down and sometimes they'll start to roll. They'll actually kind of start to go belly up like, well, that's, I'm about that's to smoke what, yeah. you. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like they first kind of give you this side eye. Yeah. like And I'm that's gonna... kind of, that's what gets me excited because when I throw my bait in and I'm pulling it, I'm, I'm dragging it into this bed. Excited. <laughs> I got goosebumps. Look, we're just talking about it in my basement. But like I got seeing goosebumps. this bass, like give you, give your bait like the side eye of like, oh no, you didn't. You yeah. know, it's like, oh no, you didn't. And then when you see its head start kind of moving downward and the tail coming up and it's like, now it's putting two eyes. It's looking down with two eyes on this bait. You're like, oh, man, I'm almost there. You know, I'm almost there. I'm getting ready. It's going to thump it. So, And there's even another step after that. Sometimes they will actually push or nip at your bait, not actually eating it. Uh, If you've got pinchers or the wacky rig worm, they're biting at the tail of it. And they may pick it up and move it. Two kinds of eating it, though. You know, there's going to be a time where it inhales Mm -hmm. the entire bait. Yep. But then you also have another type of eating where it does pick it up. So it's picking it up and it's going to move it out and let go. And the issue with that is depending on what bait you're using, if the hook is not the part that it picks up, there's nothing you can do. Right. And you got to be careful because if you're starting to rip it out of its mouth, that could push this fish off its bed. So you may want to let it drop. I set the hook and just brought in a bait without pinchers on it before. Right. Exactly. (laughs) They'll rip off part of your bait and you'll have to change baits real quick. Another thing that you have to be willing to do, even if you've got six, seven baits tied on, we can't go through them all because it is so preferential. I don't really think that color and bait matters that much as long as you are changing them and getting that fish to react. Tokyo rig is another one. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, people drop shot. Tubes. Tubes. And then you get into some like, you got to have the vomit color tube. And then yeah. people are like, no, it's got to be white with bubble. Some people are like, you got to have the bubblegum worm. <laughs> yeah. it, it is such preference and what you find works for you. You know what? Actually, when I was getting into the scene of fishing and I was watching these, these professional fishermen, I heard this and... It kind of makes sense today, but this is how crazy fishermen get when we talk about debates and what to use. There was a, a professional fisherman in our area that would actually tie a spark plug to their line, and they would flip the spark plug in this bed, and they would throw it. Now, spark plugs are usually white. So, A, the, the angler could see it, and B, this fish is seeing whatever this white thing is. But the whole point of him using a spark plug is that this bass would get used to hitting it and hitting it and hitting it or moving it off the bed. And then he would take his white tube. So that white tube looked similar to this spark plug. And the moment that he would throw, he's now this is his story, the moment he would throw his white tube into this bed, that bass would come up and it looked just like that spark plug. But now he was able to truly set the hook and catch his fish when he wanted to. So he was saying he could do that in practice, and then he could come back possibly the next day and use that white tube that looked like that spark plug. This is how crazy sight fishermen gets, guys. Sight fishermen go crazy during this time of year because they think they have what it takes. They think they have the baits that's going to work, but sometimes it does not. And we strike out so often in sight fish. And so really the the you do have to start being choosy at some point you might spend some time on that fish but brian when are you going to turn when when are you going to give it up and be like you know what no longer is it all about patience it's more about me saying this fish ain't going to do it i'm moving on i'm going yeah i think it's best just to kind of take you through my progression what i think in my mind if if we pull up and the the fish stays on the bed i flip my white crawl in typically even if that fish doesn't come after my bait, even if it doesn't look at it, but if it stays there, 
If it does not leave, I'm like, you know what? I got a chance at this. There is a sweet spot in a bed. And I'm talking, it may be the size of a ping pong ball. Mm. And if you watch the fish, it may be where they're hovering their mouth. Or if they leave the bed and come back, it may be where they're entering the bed. There is a sweet spot. And that little two-inch spot may be the only spot that they'll bite. So I'll make a couple flips with that first bait. And if the fish stays there and kind of will give me some idea of keying into where that sweet spot is, then I'll change. I'll grab that wacky rig or that jig or maybe another craw or creature bait that's in a different color, and I'll flip it in there and see if I can see the fish move. And it may just be that it twitches, like, okay, that bothered me a little bit. It may start to go nose down. Then I'm probably going to stay. I'm starting to think I am getting to this fish. I'm changing its behavior and it's not leaving. I can find something to make this fish bite. So then I start changing baits. I'll throw the worm in. I'll throw the swim bait in. And if I find something that it reacts the best to, I go back to it and I change it just a little bit. For instance, if I'm throwing a green pumpkin wacky rig worm and I throw it in there and it goes down to it a couple times and pushes it or picks it up but doesn't actually eat it, then I'll bring it in and I'll do what's called Nico rigging. I'll take the worm, I'll put a weight in one side of it so that now the worm stands up on end and I'll throw it back in. And it may do the same thing again, pick it up and push it. So my next time in, I take a neon pin and I do the I uh, do chartreuse on the tail of the worm. Throw it back in. And this actually worked for us last week. Mm-hmm. Threw it back in, Nico rigged with a neon tip. First cast, picked it up and I caught it. Right. It was the only cast I made with it because it messed up my, or threw my worm off of my hook. I never got that worm back. But it's little tweaks like that, that I'm going to take the extra time to make if the fish is showing me it's reacting without power poles also into consideration i take is my boat in a place that i can stay here without a whole bunch of effort Mm. am i in a place where i can hold on to a tree or the wind's blowing me into the bank and i can just sit here on the bank or i'm hiding behind a dock am i in a good boat position that me or my my partner can fish for this fish at you know that's another thing that that i actually forgot earlier to say was wind you know if if you have the, the clear lake and you're seeing the beds, if if the wind picks up while you're in the middle of doing this, it makes it very difficult to sight fish. It takes your sight away, your visual sight away um, from catching these fish. So you do have to plan on that. You know, you may find coves that would be out of the wind all day long, and then that's your location, that's your spot. So, you know, taking us through each of those baits that you're using and the process of just changing one bait, um, kind of presenting it differently, that has proved successful for you and I. It's something that I've learned from you. You know, I've never actually added chartreuse or orange or, or any of those colors. I, I'm i the guy where I'm like, I have all those color baits. And so I grab the bait and I switch it. And that's kind of the, was kind of my my uh, earliest days of learning. You know, I would throw in the white and, and that visually I could see it. And then I may move to that natural color, your green pumpkins, you know, your watermelon seed colors but the methylate worm in the past worked for me really really well and it's something that that i use i've wacky rigged it thrown it in now a bait for me that worked really good last year that when you and i we just when we went out this year it didn't work for me as well but i used a three inch stick bait white but it was that tinier presentation. And you were kind of sharing that a minute ago of throwing in a wacky rig, then you turn it into a Nico rig, then you painted that tail and you're able to catch that fish. But you may, if that fish was still kind of giving you trouble, you may want to start lightening, light, how do I say that? Lightening your load, like starting to maybe make your your worm smaller. Go with a more finesse presentation. A more finesse presentation. You know, I remember Mike Iaconelli, this is back when he was Bassmasters. I don't even know what year it was. But it was the the first time that I'd heard him yell, never give up, never give up, because he only had a few minutes left in this tournament. And I was watching. I didn't know what he was doing at the time, but now that I'm an adult and I sight fish, I know exactly what he was doing. He started with a full-size worm and he threw it in. And that bass was doing what Brian was talking about. It was it was giving, it was paying attention, it was it was focused on it. But after it didn't work, he'd bring it in and he'd rip a little bit off. He got down to like, 
I don't know, I may be making this up, but it seemed like like the size of a Tootsie Roll. And it was this thing was so tiny, but guys, he caught it off the bed. He was screaming and hollering because that was the fish that he needed. Uh, you know, he caught that fish, never give up. He caught it right before uh, time for him to go. So you got to try what you have and you've got to figure it out in the moment with what you have and where you're at for sure. And that is one of the things that is so much fun to me about sight sight fishing because if you're somebody that likes to do some critical thinking or just thinking outside the box, it's a great time to do it. Mm -hmm. You may think of a way to catch a fish. This fish may have never seen this before. You know what? One time last year, I took that little tiny worm you're talking about because a fish was reacting to it, but we couldn't get him to quite eat it. And I wacky rigged that thing. Right. I wacky rigged a little, I mean, it, it had to have looked like I, I put a goose turd sideways on a hook. Like, exactly. But this fish ate it. <laughs> yeah, I did. And so going through these these steps of, all right, what do I have that could make this fish mad? They're locked on a bed. You're probably not going to scare them away. Now, if you throw a, a crankbait past him and run it in front of his face, maybe. Right. Maybe. Right. Um, but... There are so many things that you could do to catch that fish, and you got a bag full of baits. If you're like me, you've got stuff you've never used or probably never will use. Pull some of them out, give them a try. Yes. That one color, yeah. you're like, why do I? Why did I even buy this? Try it. Yeah, you may you may be onto something. Try putting weights in different places and and hooks in different places. And yeah, when we said drop shot, that drop shot's going to present that bait, you know, an inch or two off the bottom, depending on how high up you tie your hook. But Moving that bait up right in that fish's face may be the mm-hmm. ticket, you know, but it also may be that jig messing with that silt in that sweet spot in the bottom of that bed. When it starts looking like it's trying to feed, it may cause that bass to get ticked and end up you catching him. So, I've even used top water before, a, a hollow bottle frog, a, a bed that is up in a bush and I've thrown a frog up in there and I could literally hang that thing above that fish's head and just twitch it and twitch it and twitch it and twitch it and eventually it will come eat it. There are so many tactics and ways to do this. It is so fun to go experiment with because you are watching behavior. It is constant. You are so locked in. I don't even like to stop and take a drink of water when this is happening. (laughs) I have to make myself drink water and get a snack because it it is so engaging the whole time. With that being said, one of the most important parts of being a successful sight fishing fisherman is to know when to give up. Right. Know when to leave. Right. Because there are fish that look like you can catch them, and you never will. You never will. They, they, they're not going to bite, and you could sit there for two and three hours, and they may not leave. There are fish that are locked on a bed, and I have tried every bait in every color and every way. I've smacked the dang fish on the head with the weight. Yes. Yeah. And that sucker just stays there and never bites. Mm-hmm. It never, and eventually you need to move on. There are other fish. If one fish is up on bed, there are other fish up on bed too. Go find one that you can catch. You know, you could also work the whole lake a whole day looking for the biggest fish that you can find. And and that's another cool part about sight fishing is this time of year, the biggest of the biggest bass have to come up from the depths. They have to, because if you're going to find a bass that's double digits, it has to be female. It has to be female, and that bass is going to be coming up on the bed. And that might be something you spend most of your time on is is searching for that bass that you want to attempt to try to flip forward and, and catch. So, guys, I'm telling you, if, if you've never sight fished before, you got to get out and do this. We have some friends that that don't enjoy it, and and hey, that's okay. Find a buddy that loves it. But if you do and you want to go, give, <laughs> give me a call. Give us a call. We want to go. <laughs> um, you know, and you don't have to have the power poles. A push pole might be something. If you don't have power poles, a push pole, whether you're going to use it to actually push yourself into that waterway. Yeah. We actually use a frog gig. Yeah, a frog yeah. gig, a big long pole that we use. It's our frog gig. You know, you no, can we're stick not gigging the fish. I want to be really oh, clear. We are yeah. not gigging the fish. We're <laughs> just using the pole from the frog gig. Correct. You know, I'm gonna stick that down the ground. You can tie you can tie that boat off to that pole. Yeah. Kind of use it as an anchor system. So, Brian, you know, sight fishing for us, it comes and goes so stinking. That's fast. the worst part of it. You know, how many weeks do people have to kind of, you know. I'm going to say start early. If if you want to sight fish, start early. You know, our last podcast, we talked about the pre-spawn. But during the pre-spawn, 
you got to keep your eyes peeled for the spawn, the mm-hmm. spawn that's happening, so that you can start sly fishing. But how many, you know, how many weeks do we have, Brian? What's what's that season look like for somebody that's wanting to get out and do this? You know, sight fishing bass that are up spawning, and you're sight fishing them. They can be pretty finicky. They can be pretty um, fickle and move a whole lot, nomadic. And you can go one day, and you may find a five, six, seven, eight pound female. And go back the next day, she gone. Mm-hmm. You may find her in the morning and go back that night, she gone. Mm. They don't stay there for very long, typically like maybe a day or two, and then they're going to vacate and the next one's going to come back in. Those little males will be there to guard the fry, but that's not really what, you, what you're wanting. Um, but I will say around here for us, because I haven't really sight fished really outside the Ozarks. I haven't. I've Mm -hmm. never sight fished outside the Ozarks. And these fish will give you an opportunity from, I'm going to say the second week of April all the way into May, first, second week of May. So I'm going to say three or four weeks, you can still find some fish up on bed to catch. But typically by that time, the pre-spawn bite is getting better than the sight fishing bite, and most people in May are transitioning out to where those fish move to after they spawn. Yeah, so you're talking about a post-spawn, and... Sounds like a podcast to me. It will be, absolutely. <laughs> and in that post-spawn, though, what are we looking for? What's the end of the spawn? What? How do I know then that that spawn is done and, and it's time to start moving maybe into the, the post-spawn? Well, when you start seeing... Uh, really a, a bunch of beds and all that's around them is a bunch of fry, little mm. teeny tiny bass. And okay. there may be some male bass still up there flying around, not right. really locking onto beds. It's done. You right. go ahead and move on. Keep right. your eyes peeled if you're up on the bank because you may see that late one. But I, I'll i be honest, the later fish that I see aren't really the big ones. Usually it's that first week or two that you see the big girls, the big bass up on the beds. That's good. And that's a good tip. You know, I didn't think about that one. I've seen fry everywhere by the hundreds, and and that is that's that's gonna let you know that she is done, done. Yeah, um, they're hatched. The hatch, they're yeah. on their own. You know, I guess another would be if you are moving off the beds, and maybe you're throwing a crankbait out a little bit deeper, and you catch a fish that's just, and I'm not saying like floppy flabby, but you know, a decent fish that its stomach is just yeah. sunk in and done. That kind of lets you know that these fish are starting to spawn out. Start off by finding that bed, looking for those fish. If you can't find fish on bed, that's probably going to tell you you might need to start pulling out and getting ready for that post-spawn. Yeah, just a couple things I want to hit on here. There is an ethical debate around sight fishing because this is it's such an important time for the ecology of a bass population. They They need to reproduce for that population to grow, for it to be healthy. So are we disrupting that? And you will see so many times, if you are practicing catch and release, if you catch a bass off of a bed, bring it up, take your picture, put it right back in the water, before you can even move your boat and leave, that fish is back around that bed again. So I don't think you are doing any harm from a biology perspective there. However, if you are fishing a tournament that is a typical five-fish tournament and you're putting five five pounders off of bed in your live well i do i do think that is bad for a bass population she may not have laid her eggs yet she may be vacating eggs that she needs to protect i do think that is bad for a bass population i don't think that's really a good a great way for a big tournament to to, for everybody to go about their business that's one reason i love major league fishing it allows these guys to sight fish catch the seven eight pounders that are up shallow let everybody see them, get the excitement, weigh them, and put them back in and watch them swim back to their bed. I hope that more tournament trails will move to that system because of the technology we have now. You can still do a five-fish tournament without having every single one brought in. Maybe just save one, your biggest one, and let four of them go back in to come do your weigh-ins and your shows and your stages. But there is an ethics debate surrounding this, but it's typically around the fish that are brought back into a weigh-in station. You know, I hadn't really thought about keeping that one. That's that's actually a really good idea because now you're minimizing, you know, minimizing the impact you could be having 
on that fish species. But yet you still have that one bass that you could bring back into the weigh-in. That's your biggest. Yeah. That's going to get the crowd riled up, and it's going to maybe move you over the top to win that tournament. Yeah. So that is such a good point. Go go get your glory and your pictures and, and let the population and still grow. You know, if, if for me, kind of the last point that I want to really make for any sight fisherman if you don't feel comfortable enough to sight fish, maybe you're, you're, you do have a hard time seeing, like your eyes just doesn't allow you to see the fish very well, no matter what, you know, whatever glasses you buy, this is a really good time to still fish shallow. You're using that jig, you're using that wacky rigged, uh, that's one of the best baits to use guys, is a stick bait, a soft stick bait, wacky rig, you're hooking it basically in the middle and just flipping it up shallow, letting it fall, reel it back in and just really kind of covering water, you will catch fish off beds. You will catch roaming fish. You'll even find those fish that are maybe done on that bed and coming up to, to feed. So fish shallow, this is such a fun time of year to catch fish. You can still fish shallow and catch really good fish. Yeah, we're, we're not saying the only way to fish right now is sight fishing. Uh, I just love it. So that's why we're talking about it. Absolutely. And it, it is kind of its own, it's its own thing. But this time of year, the conditions may not be right. It may be a cloudy, breezy day that you get to go fish and then get your shallow crankbait out, get your wacky rig out, get your jig out and go catch some of those shallow spawning fish. It doesn't have to be sight fishing if you don't want it to be or if the conditions don't uh, present for that. You know, last week we sight fished and it was tough. It was a little breezy. It was, it was gusty. So we kind of had to time in between those gusts um, it was really hard with the boat control with those gusts and trying to find, I think at one point we were hiding in the bushes with my boat, yeah, looking, we up, looking up the bank at yep. some fish, but there were fish everywhere. Mm-hmm. They were everywhere. They were up shallow. And what really, I think I caught one on a Nico rig and the rest, um, once we saw that they reacted, it was that, that wacky rig worm that really got them to bite. There is just something so powerful, so simple. It is easy to fish and fish bite it. Mm-hmm. It is simple. It's you literally throw it out and let it fall. Let it fall. And then once you hit bottom, lift it back up real a few times and let it fall. Yeah. It's deadly, guys. You got to use it. You got to try it this time of year. Absolutely. You know, some things that we didn't do well was because of the wind. And there was so much, which is not typical for our lake and especially the area of the lake that we were in. There was so much algae bin. Right. And these fish were making their beds in the algae they were and so what made it difficult was well not in they were under um our algae was those blooms were all over the top of the water i mean top of the water and then some of them were kind of hanging down and stringing down what about a foot below the surface right. and so we had to throw through some of that to get to these shallow beds yeah, they were clearing out they were clearing out the algae to make their beds so if you were casting around this bed because again you don't want to cast in it right throwing past it and trying to bring it back to it it was so difficult to find a place to cast and still bring a clean lure into the bed so many times would have algae in it and i kept saying to the guy with us like hey make sure you clean it off every cast bring it in they're not going to bite it if you throw in a white crawl and it's hanging with algae (laughs) they're definitely not going to bite it so it made it a little frustrating if I were to say if we weren't fun fishing, if it was a tournament, we would definitely not have stuck with sight fishing. But because well, we were there to do that, we did. Yeah, and we may have actually just left that part of the lake. Found Ho- clean water. You know, hopefully in practice, we would have found more clear water and then we could have avoided mm-hmm. that altogether. So, yeah, I mean, we would have probably done some things different. But that was the area that we had to fish. That's the area that we got to fish that day and we, we stuck it out. And, you know, I think you actually put together a pretty good little run that we could have produced something if we were fishing a tournament that yeah, day. Yeah, and the the thing that we did right the most was we were being picky. There were so yeah. many fish up. If we cast it in and they bolted off and took a minute and a half to come back, we moved on. We yeah. didn't sit there and jack with them. Um, the ones that hung out and started to nose down and show us those, give us those signs of, yeah, I'm, I'm a little irritated. We worked on those fish a little bit. And sometimes they may show you signs and then all of a sudden they quit showing signs. They may just have enough and leave then you need to know it's time to go. And that's one of the most important things that you can do to be a, a good sight fisherman. You know, we've talked about you can do this with a boat. doesn't matter what kind of boat. Um, it is difficult. I've tried this in my kayak, which is a, a, a kayak that I cannot stand up in. It, I think it is having that high perspective is really important. 
Um, you have to be able to see them. So some people will stand on top of their, I've stood on top of your, your motor in the back before standing on top of your trolling motor, standing on the gunnel of the boat, just to give you those two or three extra inches. It's actually so powerful that there are some tournaments that don't allow you to stand up on your seats, your consoles or your motor. You have to really stay on that. Yeah. Front of the boat. Most tournaments now are going to say you have to stay on your trolling motor bracket or below. Yeah. Yeah. Because that height gives you such an advantage to be able to see those fish even better. So, like Brian said, if you're in a kayak in a low low vessel, it is more difficult to see them. Yeah, so I think bank fishing while you're standing or in some kind of vessel that you can stand is a, is a great way to go get this done. I want to say this. Even if you don't really want to take on the fishing side of this, maybe you're not even a fisherman. If you live near a body of water and you like to go out and hike, Go find a bank this time of year and go up and down it and just watch the fish. Look at the, it's just a totally different world. You get to see these fish that you don't normally get to see. Watch what they're doing. Watch how they react to you. It is a really cool time of year to get to see part of God's creation that you don't normally get to see. And it doesn't last very long. So go out and uh, do some observations. Look at the beds. Look at how these fish are acting. Are there two fish on it? Are there one? Uh... Is that a big one? Is that the male? Try to start identifying. Is that probably the female bass or the male bass? Look at, oh man, they made it next to that pole. Or look how far up under that tree they are. I've seen them eat snakes out of beds before. Like you get to see so many cool things that you don't normally get to see. So just go out and spend some time outdoors uh, looking at spawning bass. We hope that if you do go out and do that, you'll share some of your stories with us. Uh, one of the really great ways to do that is we started a new podcast page on Yo, Facebook. It's called the Meant to Be Outdoors Podcast Q&A. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a group. If you want to join, send us uh, your request. We'll let you in. Uh, we'll post pictures. Of yeah, all send the us stuff your pictures. I mean, send us your pictures. Let us know baits you've been catching them on. We want to hear from people, get more people engaged. Um, we have a lot of listeners that don't know each other. It'd be a great way for for some of our other listeners to get connected as well. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Leave us a review. That is so helpful to us. Whatever platform, uh, like if you're li- listening on an Apple podcast, leave us a review. Um, you know, to be candid. We work really hard at this podcast. We put in a lot of hours. We listen to every podcast from beginning to end and edit it to try to make sure it's easy listening for you. We research our content. We make sure that what we're sharing is credible. If it's not, we don't share it. We will go back and take things out that we said that is messed up. We spend a lot of time trying to do this the right way, and we do not make any money off of this. We don't make any but we would like to because we don't want to have to stop doing this. So if you want us to keep going and you are willing to help us, if you are able to help us, there are three or four listeners that do, but we could sure use some more financial support. The way to do that on our Facebook, on our Instagram, on our TikTok, there is a link tree link in the description of each of those pages. Click on that link, go to the Patreon button, and you can become a monthly member of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast It's as simple as donating $5 a month, $10 a month, or $25 a month. And the $25 is pretty cool because we send you a Meant to Be Outdoors hat, the same ones that you see us wear when you see us on social media in our videos. We would appreciate that so much as we continue to bring content to you in 2023. We're going to be back on Tuesday with a brand new episode. We hope that you find some time to spend outdoors and remember that you are meant to be outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.